Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about philanthropy and also the, the issue of the transfer of wealth. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We have two guests with us today. Sherry Woodbury is here. She's the executive director of the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County. And Peggy Frisbee is here. Peggy is a local attorney who's also on the board of the Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Sherry, welcome back. Thank you. You've been here before. Peggy, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Right. Mary Catherine? Hi, Bob. Glad Hi. to be back. Sorry I missed you last week. That's all right. It went off without a hitch. I'm sure it did. Yeah, thanks. So we're going to talk about um, this issue of transfer of wealth. But first, I want both of you to be able to talk a little bit about your organizations. So, Peggy, why don't you go first? What, what is the Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council? Well, the Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council is actually in about its 10th year right now. And we're an organization of professionals who are engaged in providing estate planning counsel and advice. We have members who are attorneys, accountants, uh, insurance professionals, financial uh, advisors, and trust officers. Uh, what we do during the year is we provide professional education to our members, but we also very regularly, we've done it about three times now, we've done full-day seminar programs, which we open up to the pro, pro, uh, to the public. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's that's what we're all about. All right. And we've, we've had Cher here before, and we've talked about the Community Foundation, but if you could, uh, you know, in, I don't know, a short Sort of a short sound bite. Talk about what the foundation is. Oh, challenge me. Okay. (laughs) Well, the mission of the Community Foundation is to champion enduring and effective philanthropy. And so that really means building endowments, um, connecting caring people with local causes that they care about is really the crux of it. Um, Building those endowment funds and administering effective grant-making programs that are going to benefit the community. Okay. Now – the, this issue of, of transfer of, of wealth, um, you know, I heard you speak at the Rotary Club recently and you mm-hmm. talked about that. And, and you know, the numbers are pretty astounding. They I, are. I was looking at, uh, at some numbers online today and, and looked at nationally the numbers in the trillions. And, mm-hmm. But I, I know you have state and local numbers too. So uh, you know, define this issue. We're talking about transfer of wealth and, and talk about the numbers. Involved. Sure. Well, transfer of wealth sounds a fancy phrase, but it just means money passing hands uh, down generations as people pass on. And uh, there was a new study commissioned by the Indiana Grantmakers Alliance, uh, which our community foundation belongs to earlier this year. And they looked at uh, this phenomenon has been talked about at the national level for some time, but we didn't really have a handle on statewide. What does it look like for Indiana? And uh, they project that about $66 billion will be uh, changing hands among Indiana generations between now and 2015. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not that far away, really. Right. Not at all. Um, and at the county level, this is the part that warms my heart, um, <laughs> $1.49 billion, almost $1.5 billion, with a B, billion for Monroe County. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, this, this whole concept of uh, – well, there was a book written recently, How to Die Broke. I'm sure you're both familiar with that. <laughs> and, and this whole concept of um, kind of um, distributing your wealth or making this plan ahead of time and not necessarily um, endeavoring to make your children um, wealthy uh, – it seems like kind of a sea uh-huh. change. Can uh-huh. we talk about a little bit about that and, and how you think this has come to pass? Because it does seem um, different than in the past. I think there is a change going on, and you can see it. I see it in the clients, okay? We have a lot of clients who, frankly, come in, and they're sort of surprised at the wealth that they've accumulated. Mm-hmm. Some of these are faculty members here at IU who um, IU has been very generous in supporting their retirements, and they have accounts that are bigger than what they believe um, is really, frankly, appropriate for their uh, children to inherit. So we are starting to have more discussion, I think, about, okay, how much are, is the next generation, family, relatives, friends, how much do we really want to benefit them? And if we don't have all our wealth passed to those folks, what do we do with the rest of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that be, is, I think, becoming more and more a conversation that I'm seeing with clients occur. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that some people choose to set up their own family foundation, which seems to be happening. Is that something, a trend you see increasing? I see that discussion, and I, I think Sherry will respond to some of that. Um, that is a really appropriate thing in some situations. But what I uh, – and I have done a lot of work in the past uh, specifically with family foundations and setting them up both very, very 
very large and, and smaller. Um, I think the biggest factor with that is not so much cost or intention, it's commitment of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are definitely a doable option. Mm-hmm. And Sherry, some people do that in mm-hmm. conjunction with with what you do at the Community Foundation. Is that right? That's right. There's a couple options that are nice alternatives uh, to a private foundation. One would be a donor-advised fund, and that's where the donor recommends every year how the earnings on the endowment are used in the community. They can tap the expertise of the Community Foundation about local needs if they're interested in doing so. Um, the assets are pooled with all of the other endowments that we hold, um, so it is, you might say, cost-effective. Um, and it gives them a chance to involve the family and philanthropy. Um, For those who have a larger amount that they're looking at doing in a family foundation, say $5 million or more, uh, there's also the option of setting up what's called a supporting organization, uh, which is a 501c3, but it kind of leans on the public charity status of the community foundation, and that would give them some of those same advantages um, while having more control over the gifts. Do you know approximately how many of those you're working with now in Monroe County? Uh, We don't have any supporting organizations. We must have 30-some donor-advised funds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh-huh. All right, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Our guests today are Sherry Woodbury from the Community Foundation of Bloomington Monroe County and Peggy Frisbee from the Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council. Um, are there any statistics? You were talking, Peggy, about how a lot of IU uh, – well, you, you mentioned IU people, but people in general uh-huh. might come to you for some advice and counsel and – they sort of determine that they have a whole they've accumulated a lot more than they thought they might have uh-huh. accumulated. Are there statistics kept for uh, like the average size of an estate and and if so, how uh-huh. you know how what kind of trends have you seen in that? Boy, that's a tough one. Um, and I am not one who has tracked st- statistics on this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that's reflective though is um, at the federal state tax level, we've seen changes going on in, in what is considered to be a wealthy estate, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And 10 years ago, a wealthy estate was considered to be um, more than $600,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I think there's a general uh, agreement that it's it's a wealthy estate if it's more than uh, probably $2 million. Um, but that is – that's really uh, not a direct – um, statistic. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think uh, you know I, I don't want to put you on the spot about statistics, but it seems to me that the the trend in the last couple of decades has been for you know, employers to contribute into four hundred one k plans, or been more retirement sa- more emphasis it seems on the retirement savings, and then of course the stock market has absolutely grown considerably. So right. if people aren't paying attention, all of a sudden they're going to wake up and they're going to have a lot of money. Here's one big <laughs> difference I think that's occurring in the retirement area, and there are of course some statistics showing that um, perhaps uh, folks who have 401ks or individually directed retirement accounts probably aren't doing as good a job as they should Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. make those assets grow. On the other hand, if we think about the generation ahead of us, those people did not have uh, um, retirement accounts that could be inherited. Mm. They were pension accounts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they would support the employee, retired employee for life, and maybe a spouse, and then that was it. Okay, mm-hmm. so we do have a whole group of assets, particularly those retirement accounts, which um, exist now that to be inherited that were never there mm-hmm. a generation ago. Yeah, and that's part of this uh, transfer of wealth mm-hmm. that we're going to see. Absolutely. So, uh, going back to Monroe County and the what was the number you used? One point five billion. One point four nine billion. One point four nine billion. So. When you think of it as a founda- the head mm-hmm. of a foundation, you know what's this mean for the potential? What, what's the potential? effect on our community. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just wonderful to think about the many things that could be done for the community. Um, in terms of just numbers, if, you know, say 5% of that $1.49 billion was endowed for the community in perpetuity, uh, that would equate to about $74.5 million in permanent assets for mm-hmm. Bloomington and Monroe County. And if we were able to grant out of that at 5%, which is our, our goal for grant making, that would be another $3.73 million annually for grants. Mm-hmm. So if you think about right now, our grants, uh, we had the largest amount ever approved this year for granting, which was $621,000. You look at $3.73 million, add that in, you know, you're talking about $4.2, $4.3 million. 
that would really uh, ramp up the both the scope of the size of individual grants, you know, the support that we could give to wonderful organizations in the community, um, you know, like Wonder Lab and like Sycamore Land Trust mm-hmm. and, and like Crisis Pregnancy Center and various others that have applied for funding, um, as well as in the initiative that's possible to take uh, in terms of being proactive, identifying community issues, um, trying to work with others to really address some long-term issues in the community. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about these numbers, too, and, and once you have that money accumulated in a in a fund or in an endowment, then there are, that money is going to continue to grow that's, and that's right. continue mm-hmm. to be added to. So, so that number that you're talking about of, of uh, $3.7 million would just continue to grow and That's grow right. and grow. Mm-hmm. And donors, you know, they can designate specific organizations or purposes that they want to support. You know, if they've been a big supporter of, say, Lotus or maybe the uh, Bloomington Parks and Recreation Foundation uh, or some of the other organizations that have some funds with Some of these matchstick organizations. Some of the matchstick yeah. organizations. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, yes, uh, they can certainly designate them uh, or they may have a broader area of interest uh, such as the arts or children. We've got mm-hmm. several funds for children that they would like to support. They also can take advantage of the knowledge of the community foundation. Um, you know, none of us know what the needs are going to be in the future. Um, and for, with funds that are going to be forever, to have the flexibility to respond to community needs and be a little uh-huh. visionary, uh-huh. give that power to the local leaders and the board of directors of, of the community foundation is a, a wonderful thing to do. And, that, and that's really one of the advantages, I think, of the community foundation is that you've got a perpetual steward of the funds, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to if I'm working with a client and says, you know, I really like the, this particular organization, and that organization is really doing a great job right now. But it may be oftentimes, I mean, we have a lot of great smaller organizations in town with very committed supporters, but we don't know for sure that that organization will be there in mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40, 50 years. But through the foundation, the community foundation, you have the ability to to support that organization as long as possible and yet still have those funds working in the future if that organization just isn't able to sustain itself mm-hmm. long, t- long term. So if a group folds up shop or even right. if they change the nature of their mission and it doesn't match what their original gift was for, our board can redirect it to a similar purpose. I wonder if we should take just a minute and let Sherry give us a little history lesson on the Community Foundation and how it came into being. And I'd also be interested to know um, what your assets are at this time. Sure. Uh, we started in 1990, and it was uh, Ralston was one of the, the founding board president, um, whom you know, Mary Catherine, yes. and uh, many other wonderful people um, who helped get it started. And it was partly in response to um, challenge grants that the Lilly Endowment offered to communities throughout Indiana. I don't think they realized what a response they were going to get across the state that all of the counties would participate. Um, and at this point in time, we have about $22 million in assets. Uh, about $15 million of that is in our investment portfolio that supports community grant making. So it's been a good growth curve. And, and uh, the, the J curve seems to be going up. We've received some of our largest gifts uh, ever this year. Yeah, it seems uh, that uh, over the period of time that it's taken you to get established, now you're really up and running. And it's been, it's been interesting mm-hmm. to see. Um, I lived here, of course, before the foundation was in place and mm-hmm. then um, watching that really take off. And I think it's a wonderful asset for the community. We really yeah. owe it to the Lilies, to for Lily Absolutely. Company, for uh, having the vision that they continue to demonstrate for all of Indiana and to our community because people here responded. They said, "Yeah, we want we want this in Bloomington and Monroe County," and and people donated to get it going. There are so many different directions we can go with this conversation. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to start down down one path. Uh, the donor-directed funds that you, you mentioned, could you um, sort of give us some examples of those, some of them maybe more creative ones, if you don't mind picking them one or two to, to highlight? Well, they all work pretty much the same way. I can certainly tell you some of the ones that have been started. Actually, the first fund that was ever started in the Community Foundation was a donor-advised fund by Bill and Patty Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill was one of our early board members and champions um, and have helped supported many things through that fund. Um, Others include the Ray and Marcy Tishner Fund. Ray was one of our um, board presidents. And the Lloyd and Joanna Alcott Fund. Lloyd was a board president as well. Um, Jack and uh, Patty Mulholland. Um, We've got some that are from businesses. Uh, For example, Monroe Bank has a donor-advised fund. And the way all of them work is uh, the 
individual or family or um, they can even, for a business, they can even have like a committee of employees get involved in this, recommends every year how to use those earnings. Mm -hmm. Um, So once a year, they get a statement from the community foundation that shows uh, gifts into the fund, grants that came out of the fund the last year, what the earnings have been, what the performance has been on the portfolio, and how much is available to grant the next year. We've also just started sharing information about um, proposals we're receiving from the nonprofit community about needs and opportunities. And uh, several of our donor advisors have chosen to support those projects um, in addition to funding that those groups have received from the other funds of the foundation. Mm -hmm. Are there specific funds that would select a, um, a, an agency and basically perpetually support that agency. Right, yes. We have funds that are designated, or called agency or designated funds, and that's actually been um, the most popular fund type. There's over 30 agencies that are beneficiaries of that type of fund. Um, give you some of the names. Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We've got one for uh, Bloomington Area Arts Council called the Art Lives Forever Fund. Uh, Area 10 has one. Uh, Harmony School, Ivy Tech. Um, most of the human service agencies in town, I would say, have a fund within the Community Foundation. CASA, uh, Community Kitchen, which is also a participant in the Matchstick. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are um, more specific. Uh, for example, there was one started a year or two ago for William Cutshaw, um, a local doctor, um, mm-hmm. in his memory. And it is going to support um, safety and training for police officers in in Monroe County um, because he was had friendships with many police officers and that was dear to him. Mm-hmm. So we've mentioned the Matchstick yeah. program a couple of times and this would probably be a good good time to talk about what that is. The Lilly uh, Endowment was involved in this too. Right? Um, actually, this is a case where we have learned from Lilly's example. Oh, okay. um, right. The matching monies from this program come from the Community Foundation's Unrestricted Fund or General Grant Making okay. Fund. And we've allocated money for matching. And really where this came from was a couple years ago uh, we talked to a lot of agencies and donors and we're thinking about how do we serve the community best? You know, the foundation's been growing and uh, people have been responding of what's the, kind of the next level. Mm-hmm. And agencies really gave us a strong message that they, they love our grant programs. Of course, having local funding and an approachable funder is helpful. Um, but that they need kind of, uh, what would you say, reliable sources of funding where you don't have to go back and reapply every year. And it's a bit of a crapshoot, you know, because mm-hmm. the, the number of applications uh, so far outpaces the dollars available, that they really wanted that money that they could count on every year. Um, and that isn't just project-focused you know, that can help cover the basic operating costs um, that any effective agency really needs to fund. Um, So the purpose of this is to really build those funds that are just for a particular agency. And we have uh, five um, agencies that are participating this year. Um, Four of them actually had participated last year in the first phase and were successful. Mm -hmm. And uh, those were uh, Monroe County United Ministries, uh, the Bloomington Park and Recreation Foundation, Lotus, uh, which puts on the the Lotus Festival and the Lotus Blossoms in the schools, and a Midway House. And uh, they all met their goals. It raised over $123,000, I think, uh, for new endowment for the community, for those agencies. And they've all come back. Uh, I think we're happy with the experience, and uh, we're approved by our board again. And Community Kitchen has also joined this year and are looking to really build their fund, which mm-hmm. I think you've probably done a program on this. As you know, hunger has been a big uh-huh. issue in the community. Mm-hmm. They're really looking at how to sustain the work that they do. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you look at that list, the, all the different elements that you touch, because hunger obviously is an issue. Domestic violence is obviously an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, Child care through Mackham, mm-hmm. arts, recreation. So the agencies really represent a lot of different things. They do. Mm-hmm. Okay. 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. And we're talking with uh, Sherry Woodbury and Peggy Frisbee about the transfer of wealth and about philanthropy. And, and we can uh, talk for a long time. But if you have questions – and Peggy's a lawyer and she, ha- she knows lots <laughs> of stuff about the transfer of wealth and, and – um, estate planning and those kinds of things, feel free to, to give us a call or send us an email and uh, we'd be happy to, to hear from you. You know, the, Matt, just to go back to Matchstick mm-hmm. for just a minute, um, as a person who's involved with one of those organizations, I'm, I'm on the Parks and Rec Foundation, I can tell you that that is an amazing um, product that you offer and I call it a product <laughs> only because I don't know what else to call it. But um, 
you know, we're at the point now where when somebody donates a dollar, we get a dollar. And mm-hmm. that is just amazing. And it's such a great story to be able to tell mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. Um, as you go out and ask them for money for to support your organization mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it really is like doubling their money. Right, so right. I don't know if people are aware that that's what matched it right, means. Right. You, you know, you, you match. That's right. And the community foundation offers a dollar for every three dollars uh, that donors give. Now, Parks and Rec is on the enviable uh, situation of having had a couple angel donors who've increased their match pool. So they've got it to a one-to-one match. Um, but in any case, it's leveraging the dollars that the donor gives. Um, and they, the agencies have between now and December 31st um, to raise that money. And it's when they meet their goal that the match is made uh, from the Community Foundation and the Angels uh, where that applies. And if anyone's interested in this, learning more about it, um, of course, you can contact the Community Foundation at 333-9016 or check out our website, uh, www.communityfoundation.ws. In fact, we even have online giving available now, so that's a way you can do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really great. If, if you uh, are in a position where you want to get your affairs in order and you want to start making some plans, what's the first phone call you should make? Uh, or the first website to look at, either way. <laughs> I think the first uh, phone call to make, and and I'm going to have to try to be respective to my other professionals, but I I think it is good to contact your attorney, your accountant, um, any of the other uh, financial uh, planners. and and start that conversation rolling. I will say there is a ton of information out there these days um, on the websites and the library and so forth. Um, and some of that it's really good information, and unfortunately some of it's not so good information. So you really need, I think, to be t- working with a professional uh, in terms of doing estate planning, um, you got to think about the fact that what you have is is your you know what you've worked and earned all your life for, and this is a pretty important set of decisions, and it's really important to do it right. Um, the other thing is, I think that what I, I feel like um, uh, I can offer and other professionals can offer is to sort of help you understand that there are lots of ways to. Uh, carry out your intentions, that it doesn't have to be an either-or choice many times. Uh, It can be a win-win to benefit your family, to benefit your charitable interests, um, and to make sure that your your people are provided for and at the same time your your interests, your charitable interests Mm -hmm. are taken care of. I know a lot of people um, who have amassed wealth are would be willing to share that, but they're concerned about being taken care of in their old age, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and health care costs are really something to figure Absolutely. into any plan. So how do you work with that? Well, um, uh, it, when we talk about how you can make a gift, there are some ways to make gifts where you can actually keep income or you can keep, for instance, use of your home and allow that um, unused portion uh, that you haven't used during your life or the house after you're deceased and to let that go to the charity at that point. So that's an example of, uh, of something where I'm saying it can be a win-win on both sides. Um, there are, when you're looking at uh, benefiting a charity, uh, a charity can be benefited through a gift, through a will. Uh, that's probably the most um, direct and simple way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Through a charitable bequest, and I know um, the Community Foundation, I think, on its website has um, language to use for that purpose. Um, You can make a gift through a trust uh, where you transfer assets, but you keep um, an income flow coming back over uh, from that trust. That's called a charitable remainder trust. Uh, You can make a gift annuity where you transfer assets to the charity, and the charity makes a contractual promise to pay you back uh, an income flow, hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So all of these are things that uh, do get a, a little bit complicated, um, but, boy, they can be successful ways to so, make gifts. I'm sorry, but clearly, the, just hearing what you said just then, I need an attorney for this. What kind of an yeah. attorney um, should people look for, an estate planning attorney, or is there another? Uh, I would recommend uh, an estate planning attorney. Our members are uh, involved in the Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council because they consider this to be a very important area of uh, interest for them and an important area of their uh, practices and businesses. Um, we have a website, which is www.hh. EPC.org, Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council, and there is a, a listing of our members on that website. Um, so I, I recommend that you're looking for an estate planning specialist, uh, people who do 
uh, do this work day in and day out. Peggy, what are the what are the biggest mistakes that you've seen, and and what's the cost of those mistakes mm-hmm. to people who either came to you too late or didn't come to you at all, and then you you learned about after someone had died? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what kinds of things do people get into? Well, uh, probably one I do here is is frankly, um, folks who who can't quite make the decision. So they say, well, I'll leave it to my kids, I'll leave it to my family, and I'll let them decide. That's not good planning, okay, right from the outset. So um, helping, I think one thing we can do is help people through that decision, okay? Um, another one is is when, um, and I don't want to get technical here, no. uh, actually the charitable um, tax laws are pretty specific about how you make gifts and in what form and what parameters you have to comply with. And again, you can do this successfully, but you can make mistakes, mm. okay? And um, if you're doing it on your own, you could have an intention and think, okay, I'm going to uh, structure this so I'm not going to have an estate tax or an inheritance tax. It's going to end up with charity. And if it's not done right, it can just end up with a tax. Go away. And yeah. go away. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. What's right. i got to ask, what's the difference between an estate tax and an inheritance tax? Okay. In our world here in Indiana... Uh, when we say estate tax, we're generally meaning a federal estate tax. So it's the federal tax, and it is a tax on the entirety of the estate. So it, if I was insured for – if I had $100,000 in assets, I would pay what percent to the federal – it varies. Actually, at today, this year, you'd have to have more than $2 million to pay a tax. Oh, really? Okay. okay. That's the federal. That's the federal. Okay. Now Indiana also has uh, – really, these are death transfer taxes. Uh, trans- it's a tax on the transfer of property at death. Uh, Indiana's tax is an Indian inheritance tax. It is imposed according to who receives the property. So we look to see how closely people are related to the decedent. And then we have a tiered system of how high the tax is and how much exemption. So if it's your children, your grandchildren – each of them has a $100,000 exemption, and the tax rate is, is relatively low. You know, it's not going to go more than 10%. Hmm. And is that a change? Because it seems like I remember Indiana having a, a higher in, inheritance tax in the past. And actually, this tax has been, like that been for around for a while. I'm pretty been. slow on changing things. Okay. <laughs> I must been, have been confusing the estate tax. The, the estate tax has definitely been. And that's a big hit because when it hits, it's currently at 45%. All right. We're talking about philanthropy, estate planning, the transfer of wealth. Uh, our guests are Sherry Woodbury and Peggy Frisbee. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info. WFIU News was recently honored with 11 awards at the Indiana Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists' Best of Indiana Journalism competition. You can hear these award-winning stories, as well as find out what's going on in local news at WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael and our guest today, Sherry Woodbury, Executive Director of the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County and Peggy Frisbee, a Bloomington attorney who is on the board of the Hoosier Hills Estate Planning Council. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area and They'll have answers for you, too, even though they're located here in Bloomington. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. 
Okay. Well, we had talked. We talked during break a little bit, and there are so many different directions we could go with this. Um, but Sherry, you said you have some kind of nice examples of people who have come to yeah. you and um, set up account. I guess it's an account. Do you call it fund. a fund? Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These these are actually gifts that have, as you say, matured. So these are folks who've made these plans and they have uh, passed on, and the gifts have come in and are now supporting the community. Um, so Doris Seward is one. Oh. I don't know if you everybody yes, everybody. <laughs> well, everybody maybe not everybody, Doris, but we knew Doris. She yeah. was, so she was a Bloomington native. She spent uh, I a little bio here, 46 years working in higher education at schools across the country. Uh, and she actually returned to Bloomington in 1984 when she retired and lived here for 15 years, and she passed away in 1999. Does it say in there she wrote a column for the Herald Times? Um, supposed to. She did. She was a world traveler. <laughs> she and wrote, oh, it does. She Spend wrote time a, as an HD columnist. Yes, right, I do have that. Did. And an optimist. <laughs> and an optimist. Okay. She, <laughs> she also was an incorporating member of the Community Foundation, so <laughs> she had many ties. Well, she left a, She left a very nice uh, gifts for the community. Ten percent of her estate went to a fund at the Community Foundation for the Fred Seward Nature Preserve of Hilltop Gardens. Um, 20% went to fund for the Monroe County Historical Museum, which had been a longstanding interest of hers. Um, and then 60% went to a fund um, that's what we call an unrestricted fund, which supports the general grant-making programs of the Community Foundation, our mm-hmm. open call where many um, nonprofits uh, submit proposals. And in fact, it's supporting the match stick through the matching money, too. You know, it's very interesting to hear this because some people like Doris, who mm-hmm. a lot of people knew and everybody had, I, I believe everybody had a great deal of respect for, it's interesting to see how they make a commitment that lives on you know, mm-hmm. after they die. Yes. And yes. I like that that story very much because it's very reflective of Doris. Mm-hmm. It, it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. that because she was um, someone who was interested in new things that came in, came along. I remember when the John Waldron Arts Center got started um, with the Bloomington Area Arts Council. She was very involved mm-hmm. in that. And and so, you know, she made the, the provision by the 60 percent to respond to new things that, yes, that yes. come along. And anytime someone sets up a fund, um, a named fund uh, with their family name, uh, Every time the grants are awarded from that fund, uh, the community and the recipients learn where it came from. And so it's really a way of continuing that legacy mm-hmm. of what the person cared about. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun one. Um, another kind of recent gift was uh, Lenore Anderson. She was a native of, of Casey, Illinois, and she worked at the State Bank of Clearing in Chicago for many years. Um, many people might know her as a local artist here in town. She was also a member of the National League of American Pen Women, so um, literary person. And uh, she came to Bloomington in 1975, and she left $253,000 to the foundation. And she's supporting uh, several local organizations as well as some national organizations. Uh, she was interested in Hospice of Bloomington um, in uh, Bloomington United Presbyterian Church continued to support her church through that fund and Big Brothers Big Sisters um, for a particular program that they offer, as well as a couple of national organizations. Mm-hmm. So we actually set this up as uh, what we call a designated fund, and it has multiple beneficiaries. Um, it kind of illustrates the flexibility that the donor can really um, continue to support those things they supported during their lifetime or be visionary, as Doris Seward mm-hmm. did, and, mm-hmm. and leave it open. Mm-hmm. We might get to a couple more of those, but we have a phone call. So let's go to the phone, and Ken is on the phone. Ken? Yes, hello. Hi. I have uh, actually two questions. One, in the state of Indiana currently, if uh, if a parent uh, dies without a will is, uh, and it has to go to probate, what, what is the uh, how is it how is the state divided between a, the surviving spouse and two children? Ah, okay. No will and a division between uh, spouse and, and I don't have my cheat sheet here, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about, uh, is this a first spouse or a second spouse, second marriage spouse? Uh, no, they've, they've only uh, one marriage for 60-some okay. years. <laughs> okay. Generally, that's going to divide, uh, I'm pretty sure, half to the spouse and half to the kids. Um, but so if, if there were two kids, that would be 25 to each. That's right. Um, okay. If you're going through the court process you, uh, of probate, of course, that would be all uh, reviewed and um, confirmed through the court. Okay. Now, the other is uh, if there is just a couple uh, and uh, one spouse has no will, can you assume that everything would go to the other spouse? There's no children. Um, would, par- would, would elderly parents uh, come into play? Parents would come and play. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, is there a proportion on that? You know, I don't have my specific um, uh, distribution um, 
uh, law with me. Um, okay. So I sort of hesitate to to just say off the top of my head, okay. uh, but there is a uh, allocation that would go to the parent also. So you, it sounds like there would be some sort of proportion. You just don't. You're not comfortable saying exactly what it would. Right. Be. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I guess I will say that there's a common s- statement of people that if you uh, you know the state is going to take everything, the state law actually tries to to allocate it among the family. Uh, and it's really only when we don't have grandparents, we don't have children, we don't have brothers, sisters, uh, nieces, nephews, et cetera, that, um, uh, that there's any uh, sort of uh, lack of heir. And then at that point, actually, the state would yeah. receive the property. Well, thank you very much. All right, Kim. Thanks a lot for the call. 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Um, one area I want to talk about is the, the grant process. And you talked about 600 and some thousand this year. Was that? $621,000 was approved this fiscal year. And if we have this massive transfer of wealth and 5% goes mm-hmm. into the foundation, then that would be increased dramatically. Another $3.7 million. <laughs> Now, before we get to your question, do you actually set a goal like that to capture 5% of, of this transfer of wealth? Um, I wouldn't say we formally set a goal like that. I mean, it's certainly possible that folks could could give more to that to the community. But I would like to see at a minimum that people are, first of all, thinking about charity when they're setting their estate plan and Mm -hmm. what kind of legacy they want to leave in the world. And second of all, that they think about our local community. Um, You know, a lot of people give to national organizations, and I I respect that greatly. I give to some myself. But remember the people here in Bloomington and Monroe County, um, the organizations you supported during your lifetime, Mm -hmm. and those needs that we don't yet know in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so the grant process. The grant process. Yes, the grant process. Yeah. So, so how, you know, how does the grant process um, proceed and then – what are some of the examples of grants, pe- programs that have been funded? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the, of the 621000 that comes from all different types of endowment funds. So a large number of that is designated for specific agencies, and we're just cutting the check and sending it to them, and they're using it for the designated purpose. Um, but the unrestricted funds and those that are for a broader field, such as children uh, or education, we have handled through what we call our open grant cycle, uh, where any nonprofit serving our area can apply at least once a year um, for funding. And we have a grant committee of very dedicated people um, who go through a scoring process and they look at things like um, what's the sustainability of the project, um, how well, how stable is the organization in terms of uh, financials and in terms of the leadership of their board and their management, um, you know, what are the outcomes they're going to achieve in the community. And uh, it's wonderful things have happened. I want to tell you about one that um, has especially cut my heart a little bit, which is Grace Center, um, which is a new organization down in Harrodsburg in the southwest corner of the county. We actually gave them the, their first uh, grant that helped them get started last year um, of about $9,500 to start a food pantry, um, which is the first thing they decided to do in that area. But there's a, a number of people who really can be credited with getting this going. And Jim Baugh um, is the name some folks may know. He owns community hardware there and uh, cutting-edge landscaping, and a native of Harrodsburg. And he was looking to reinvest in the community. Um, he, he's an IU alum as well, and he had done uh, an internship as a grad student um, and at that time got acquainted with George Shea, who had been with Ariaton um, Agency on Aging and retired a few years ago. And he enlisted her help in establishing this nonprofit uh, for that area of the county, and they call it Grace Center. Um, so they started with the food pantry last year, and it has served over 110 households um, to date. They really saw that there was a need for getting that service to that part of the county. And as Jim said, the residents are so grateful um, because the free food assistance enables them to then allocate their money in other ways to cover the increasing price of gas uh, Mm -hmm. to get to work and so on um, for their car or new eyeglasses, those other needs that people have. And just this year in our grant cycle that was just announced, uh, actually last Sunday, it was printed in the Herald Times, mm-hmm. right. um, we approved a grant of almost $16,000 for Grace Center for kind of their, the next phase of what they're trying to do. They're, they're doing a great job sustaining the pantry with local contributions and volunteer support. Um, so they're going to use the Harrodsburg Community Center as a gathering space um, for mm-hmm. adult and intergenerational arts, um, education, recreation initiatives. They call it the uh, Arts Infusion Project. Um, which is a partnership with the Bloomington Area Arts Council. And it's got, it's got a collaborative project featuring uh, the work of Joe Lamantia, um, who many people may know. He won one of the, actually, BAAC Leadership Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, they do good doing weekly art activities. Uh, they'll have an intergenerational art auction 
with Lakeview Elementary School and uh, field trips uh, to Artibans in Bloomington and Lawrence County. So it's a wonderful way to bring uh, arts and culture, um, collaborate with other agencies, get different generations working together, and it's in the same location as this food pantry. Um, really, they've got a community center going is what they've got down there in Harrodsburg. So we're excited about that. That's, That's the kind of thing that this project funding uh, can support. And we know we know the need is always greater than the the, the resources that yes. we have. So you you uh, handed out um, granted one hundred sixty five thousand dollars yeah. through that cycle. Yeah, and what what was the need or what were the the applications? How much the requests were about four times more yeah. than the <laughs> than the proposal uh, than the dollars available. Um, so yeah. it's it's a tough job actually for our grant committee. Um, we do we have tried in the past to touch different areas of community needs. So this this one was kind of arts related. Um, we've done education ones, um, health. In fact, Foundation of MCCS um, applied for grant money for automatic external defibrillators, which they want to have mm-hmm. in the schools and receive some funding for that. Um, actually, Bloomington Hospital, has, it sounds like, is jumping on board with that, too. They learned about it and want to help uh, provide training to the faculty and the right. staff and the coaches on how to use that equipment. So another wonderful example of cooperation in the community. Right. Okay. The phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu. Every time that I talk with Sherry or anybody from the Community Foundation, I'm kind of like a broken record. I like the analogy of the foundation being uh, sort of like the savings account for the community and Mm -hmm, United mm -hmm. Way being a checking account for the community. So Mm -hmm. could the two of you sort of address that and the differences? Because there there are lots of places that people can put their charitable donations in the community. Sure. And, you know, the United Way is certainly worthy – but how mm-hmm. would you see the distinctions? In- sure. I think there's probably two key differences, and we're, we're very pleased mm-hmm. to partner with United Way Off. In fact, they've got a fund with us. Um, one is that we're focused more on the permanent funds, the endowed funds for the community, um, whereas the United Way just says more the, a little bit more the checkbook where the money is meeting that kind of immediate need. Um, and the other is that the Community Foundation has a great deal of flexibility in what we can fund. Uh, we do certainly support human services, a lot of human service organizations have endowments with us and they actually about 75% of our grant applications requests were for human service needs and they get the uh, the majority of the funding um but we also support things in arts and culture and education and recreation and preservation and beautification. Really anything that the IRS would consider charitable, a donor uh-huh. can work with uh-huh. the Community Foundation uh-huh. to support. Uh-huh. We, do, we, we live in a college town, so we, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about scholarships. Can you yes. endow a, a scholarships? Through? You certainly can. And we have a number of scholarship funds. Um, in fact, the fund that uh, Parks and Rec Foundation at the city um, has with us is for scholarships for children to be able to participate, you know, to take those golf lessons or swimming um, um, or participate in those programs that some of the kids in our community, their families wouldn't have the resources for them to do. Yeah. Kids City, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, again, getting back to the whole over, the overall issue of transfer of wealth and what's coming in the future and the opportunities that it could that could arise, you start t- talking about the numbers: six hundred twenty-one thousand dollars for the foundation to be able to grant in the last year. United Way, if I remember, was one point six million dollars. So. You put those two together and you've got $2.2 million and what you're talking about is if 5% of this money goes into the foundation um, for, to be able to be granted, then I mean, that money doubles right. all of a sudden in and just a seven-year mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And once yeah. it's there, it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it keep, that's the beauty of endowment. It keeps earning off of the market and yeah. we're just granting um, those earnings and it's managed in a very prudent way so that that, yeah. that funding will be there in perpetuity. And for the mm-hmm. foundation, of course, it way more than doubles. But if you even just add – take United Way out of the picture and say mm-hmm. they're not going to raise a single dollar but – you know that 1.6 million would go into this. It would still double over time. Mm-hmm. That's right. So then, That's right. so then, how do you, you know, how do you go about the aside from programs like this one, trying to persuade more and more people to think about charitable donations with their their estate? Well, uh, Jerry can can make one answer here. I think uh, from our perspective as as uh, estate planning professionals, I'm a big advocate, and I'm enc- always encouraging other estate planning professionals to keep the topic of charitable giving in front of clients um, and and helping them understand that it is a doable thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, um, uh, in terms of, of giving through the estate, it can be a fairly simple thing, just as uh, Sherry has explained, which is, you know, you can just say, okay, I'll take 10% and I'll make that a gift to charity. Um, and frankly, when we look at the numbers, lots of times the family is very supportive of that. They like to the idea of carrying out the intentions of their um, parents uh, and what they were committed to during their life. And and, and I think it, it ends up with a, a, a good result for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the family situation, too. You know, some people have, uh, you know, maybe a child who um, maybe have a, a development disability or something like that, and they need to make sure that they're going to be cared for. Others, I've seen other people t- think about their kids in terms of um, they want to see how well they do, and they hope that their kids are going to become, you know, independent, successful people, and most of them do. And that being the case, they'd like to leave, you know, a nice uh, gift for them, but they don't feel like they need to ensure that their kids are going to not have to work or, you know, that kind right. of thing. They, they, they understand that that they have the flexibility to really do some things in the community too. Well, let's go into that just a little bit. What amount is 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 too small for the foundation? Um, I wouldn't say in terms of stake gifts that there really is a too small because anyone can give to any existing fund. Um, so if charities that you support already have a fund, um, you know, really, and you, if you do a percentage, you don't necessarily know what it's going to turn out to be. But you can stick, you know, 2 percent of your estate to go to, say, the Middleway House Fund or uh, the Lotus Fund or another uh, fund within the community foundation. Um, or if you're one of those people who has very broad interests, maybe you've supported a lot of things in the community during your lifetime. That's hard to pinpoint them. You're probably a good candidate to think about giving to the general community endowment that supports the grant making. Mm-hmm. And what about the uh, the funds, like the donor-advised funds? How much money would you have to have to create a fund? To start a new fund, if you want to do it during your lifetime, uh, for most types of funds, it takes $10,000 to start a new fund. Mm-hmm. And you can do that gradually. Um, some people have the means to do that all at once, especially if they have a windfall or they have appreciated stock they're going to sell or something like that. Um, but you can also do $1,000 a year for 10 years, what we're calling an acorn fund program that we're developing. Mm-hmm. And uh, from a tiny acorn, a mighty oak grows. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, once that fund is established, the, again, the funding is in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Now, I would think there would be some tax benefits if, if, as you say, you have kind of a windfall. Mm-hmm. Um, is that true? Oh, for sure. Um, and appreciated uh, assets are a great example because you get a deduction uh, on the gift as well as saving on the capital gains that you would have had to pay if you would have sold it and just kept the asset. Mm-hmm. So that can be stock or real estate or other. Yeah, and actually, uh, when working with estate planning with clients, uh, the topic of actually giving during life as well as at death is an important part of the discussion. And um, for those donors who do have more wealth that they're willing to direct to charitable giving, um, it's very powerful to make that gift during life. And there's a lot of advantages from tax side because those gifts generally are going to uh, generate a current income tax deduction. Mm. Uh, therefore, the cost of the gift is much less. And also, of course, um, as mentioned before, the gift can be made in a way where the um, donor isn't really giving up all use of the property, mm-hmm. can still keep an income flow, um, maybe use it as an alternative uh, source of retirement income. And then also have the assurance that that uh, is going to end up with charity, um, has a closer connection to the charity because lots of times folks like the Community Foundation are very happy to involve those donors in uh, their programs. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I, I wanted to touch on uh, a type of giving of this sort that I, I think is, is really an interesting solution for um, some uh, families. Uh, we... I mentioned a charitable remainder trust, which is where uh, um, the charity gets what's left over and the donor or someone the donor is designated receives the income flow. There's actually a flip of that, which is a charitable lead trust. And in that arrangement, um, the charity gets the income flow off the property and the remainder of that property goes to the family if that's who the intended beneficiaries are. And that's a great way to, I think, uh, very tax-effective, take care of charity currently Mm because charity gets the money right away and um, benefit grandkids. And usually we're able to really minimize the uh, estate tax cost involved here. And uh, that works well, uh, too, when we were talking about those uh, younger 
beneficiaries that maybe we don't really want them to have full use of that money right away. We'd rather that they grow up and stand up on their own two feet first for a while before they get their inheritance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, there's lots yeah. of fun things to do, lots actually, of, I think. <laughs> and it's easy, too, if someone's already done a will and they didn't think about charitable giving at the time and now they're thinking about it to just uh-huh. do a codicil. Um, to add to the charities that they want to include. A couple, couple other uh, quick points. One is you know, we have uh, Sherry here from the Bloomington and Monroe County uh, Community Foundation. There are community foundations in several counties around here, correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. Every county in Indiana actually is served by a community foundation or an affiliate fund. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. so everything we said today is applicable uh, in, your, to, yeah. to, in your – The whole listening area. That's right. Absolutely. And then the other, the other issue is you know, we talk, I, I was asking about um, you know, how you sort of take this message out to everybody. And we talk, we talk a lot about estate planning and mm-hmm. about uh, – obviously, we're, we're thinking about older people who – I believe. Um, but how do you get this message about a community mm-hmm. foundation to younger people? I think I think people who are in their 30s, 40s, maybe even late 20s that are thinking about saving for retirement, mm-hmm. they're thinking about giving back to the community and maybe they have a small amount they donate to United Way every week, which of course is a great way to mm-hmm. donate. But is there a way to tap into younger people to be thinking about this even in their 30s and 40s so that they could be, you know, building and giving a perpetual or an annual gift to the foundation. Is that something you would consider or target? Um, it hasn't been our strategy so far, just because resources are limited. Uh-huh. And yeah. mm-hmm. but I th- my impression. Tell me if you agree with this, Peggy. Is that people are starting to do estate planning earlier than they used to? Because um, mm-hmm. they think I think especially when people have children and they realize I need to set up who is going to take care if something happens to me. Who is going to Who's going to be the guardian for my children? Absolutely. And that's probably a lot of times a stimulus to think about a will. That mm-hmm. is that is mm-hmm. definitely. A very uh, important stimulus and incurs all the time, yeah. which is uh, folks with that young, um, brand new kids and want to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of, of a little bit responding, there are some ways to to build some charitable giving in uh, without sort of giving up. And, and one thing that occurs to me is life insurance. Okay, life insurance mm-hmm. is really cheap when you're young. Okay, mm-hmm. because of course they don't expect you to die. Um, Term life insurance is really, really cheap. And one thing that that folks can do as a charitable gift is to make a charity a beneficiary of that life insurance. So it's a way, right? Or of a percentage of it. So you have, uh, I have uh, frequently, if if we have a situation with younger folks who actually have an estate tax problem because their estate has gotten open over that two million mark, even. Uh, I'd say probably 75% of the time it's because of life insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a very big life insurance policy, a million, two million. Of course, the intention is to replace the income of uh, one of the spouses if one of the spouses passes away. But, um, uh, it, you know, it is possible to take, again, maybe 10% of that life insurance policy and make charity a beneficiary of that policy. Okay. I will say, too, that I think younger generations, and I've seen some statistics on this, the volunteer, the rate of volunteering mm-hmm. is going higher and higher. Um, and young people, even in middle school and high school, as well as in college, are routinely getting more involved with charities. So I think they get a little bit more of um, the on-the-ground, in-the-trenches view of what these organizations are doing in the community. And, and how a little bit of money can go a long way right. to yes. further their mission. That's right. Yeah. And how much those annual fund gifts make a difference for organizations being able to continue their work, right. um, which is a natural segue then to thinking about, okay, well, what am I going to do during my lifetime as well as what kind of legacy am I going to leave in the community? We have one minute to go. So last thoughts from each of you, uh, last things that you want to reiterate. I'll go real fast, which is um, I just encourage uh, in the context of estate planning, I often say that we've got three sets of beneficiaries. Uh, One usually is a spouse. If you have a spouse, another might be your children. But the other is our, our social uh, uh, beneficiary, mm-hmm. and that can often be through taxes, because in that case the government's deciding who will be the ultimate beneficiaries, or you can direct it yourself by making uh, your chosen charities the beneficiary of that portion. Okay. That's a sure. very good point. Yeah, I think my last thought is just uh, you know, don't be overwhelmed by all the options. It's easy to sit down and talk with a knowledgeable person such as Peggy. We at the Community Foundation are always happy to sit down and just explore with people. We can ask questions about the kinds of things they're interested in and suggest the different options that might help them. Um, and enjoy it. You know, it's wonderful to be in a society where we are we're pretty well off. Most of us can think about leaving something in our will. You know, even if we can't do a major gift in our life, 
lifetime, we can leave a legacy. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, enjoy being able to live by your values and leave something behind. Okay. And we are out of time. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Peggy. And Thank you. for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Catherine Hegeman, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times. 